0: Today on the Joseph Carlson Show, well, it's official, everyone. Greed has taken over the markets. According to the Fear and Greed Index, it is now up to a 74. It is getting close to the extreme greed category. We could be there any day. Today, the markets are in the green across the board once again. The Dow Jones, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, all up a sizable amount today. Notable investors like Aswath Damodorn are saying that the entire Magnificent 7 is overvalued and Nvidia's price to the point of insanity. There's a lot of commentary right now of whether or not the market's overvalued. And I have to admit, when I look at my portfolio, Things are getting a little bit more expensive. It's more difficult to find deals. A lot of the companies I was buying hand over fist a year ago no longer look like such a deal. So in this episode, we'll be discussing whether or not the market has reached a tipping point. Now, of course, we also have some other news to get to. ESPN, Fox, and Warner are teaming up to create a sports streaming platform. We'll be looking at the details of this new streaming sports bundle. One of the stocks I hold Chipotle just reported earnings it's up 7.6% on the day. I've read through the earnings report and I've listened to the earnings call and I want to go through why I invested in this company initially. The reasons I believe it will have predictably strong results. And then of course we also have the Apple Vision Pro. It's finally released and it's creating a lot of buzz online. I'll share some thoughts on this new device from Apple. So we have a lot to get into in this episode. If you like these type of videos make sure you hit the like button and the bell notification so you get future updates. Now we can start off with this market reaching a potential tipping point. We have the normal indicators for this, the fair and greed index moving upwards. This tracks a lot of different type of metrics to show that investors are becoming very enthusiastic about the future. And we've seen the gains come in over time. It seems like day after day, the market races upwards. A lot of companies are getting to higher valuations. And even if we look at the valuation of the overall market, it's starting to get into a higher valuation territory. The S&P 500 index is now trading at a 22 Ford PE ratio. Last year it traded at an 18. So the S&P 500 index was cheaper last year than it is this year. And on top of that, many of the companies that I hold in my portfolio are at a more expensive PE ratio than the market average. If the market's at 22, A lot of the companies in my portfolio are in the high 20s. S&P Global trades at a 30 P.E. Mastercard trades at a high 20s. Intuit trades above 30, and Moody's trades right around 30 as well. All of these companies are marginally more expensive than the market. The tech companies have also traded up. Microsoft is now at a 30 plus PE ratio. Apple's in the high 20s. Costco now trades above a 40. When investing in these type of companies, one of the common fears is higher valuations. The company's trading too high and potential for a massive sell-off. And this brings up one of the most difficult parts of investing, the separation between price and value. A lot of investors struggle with that distinction. This important distinction between price and value is something that everyone intuitively understands when it's outside of stocks, when it's things that we deal with on a daily basis. The confusion only comes in when you're talking about stocks. And this is something so important to highlight. When we look at the difference between these two vehicles, you know right away that one of them is much higher quality than the other. The Lamborghini's obviously worth dramatically more because it's a better car. It has better tires, better brakes, a better engine. The interior has higher quality components made with better materials. So right off the bat, with something outside of a stock, you instantly and intuitively notice the differences between quality. And most people, when they look at this, will understand that the Lamborghini Urus for $100,000 is a better deal than a Honda Civic for $40,000. When we look at the results, we see that that's the outcome. The Honda Civic's actual value, what you could sell it for, is around $24,000. So if you paid $40,000 for it, you grossly overpaid. You overpaid by $16,000. The Lamborghini, on the other hand, is routinely sold at $230,000. That is $130,000 over the $100,000 price tag. So we can clearly see, even though the Lamborghini sells at a much higher price, it's a much better deal. You're more of a value investor, buying this Lamborghini for $100,000 than buying the cheaper Honda Civic for $40,000. And again, this is probably obvious for the majority of you. You probably instantly knew intuitively that the Lamborghini was probably a better deal because you've seen Honda Civics and you know that older Honda Civics don't sell for $40,000. All of this is very obvious when it comes to anything other than stocks. Stocks are where this gets confusing, but the same principles apply. We can look at an example with stocks, stock one and stock two. Stock one has a 15 Ford PE ratio, a 5% free cash flow yield. Stock two has a 35 Ford PE ratio, and a 3% free cash flow yield. Which of these companies is a better deal? Well, that entirely depends on the growth rates of the company. If stock one, for example, grows earnings 6% per year, or they grow the free cash flow per share at 7% per year, and stock two grows 14% per year, or it grows a free cash flow per share at 15% per year, you have an entirely different equation here. Even though stock one is cheaper, it's cheaper for a reason. Much like the Honda Civic, it's at a cheaper price, but it doesn't move as fast as the Lamborghini. Stock two is at over double the starting price of stock one, but it's growing its economic value at a much faster pace. Based on both the starting valuation and the economic growth of these companies, assuming that they both traded at a 15 times multiple after 20 years, so stock two had multiple compression. The multiples came down to match stock one after 20 years. It still over doubled the performance of stock one even with multiple compression. But if stock two maintains its high multiples that it started with, the gains are astronomical. It goes up 1,274%, compared to stock one's 220%. Multiples are the most important in the short term. They show what a company is trading at based on next year's earnings. Over the life of a company, they become less important, comparatively speaking, to the growth rates. The sustained competitive advantages and growth rates of a company will eventually overwhelm the multiples. So when I'm looking at my portfolio and the companies I'm invested in, I'm focused on both of these factors. Not just the starting yield and the starting price, But also the speed at which these companies can grow the speed at which they move and overall i've seen incredibly good results with my companies in their economic value improving it gives me confidence that these companies will continue to grow into the future obviously the valuation of companies overall is a little stretched right now it's higher than usual and i'm not rushing to buy big positions in stocks like i was last year but overall i still think these companies are reasonable They are growing quickly, quicker than most companies in the market. Costco, for example, is on a tear. The stock price has gone up incredibly high. The Ford PE is in the mid 40s. And I'm not gonna lie, that makes me concerned about the valuation. It makes me consider selling off 20% of my position, locking in gains, walking away from the company and trying to find something else. But then I consider the growth of the company. The economic growth of Costco has been outstanding. If I look at the past five years, This company has grown its free cash flow per share at nearly 19% per year, a Kager of 18.89%. That is fast. That is incredibly, incredibly fast. That beats out the majority of big tech and they accomplish this while not doing aggressive buybacks. If Costco bought back their shares instead of paying a special dividend, this free cash flow per share count would have grown faster. So right now I feel like I own companies that both trade at higher valuations, but I also think they're just incredibly outstanding companies. Right now I feel like I own the Lamborghinis, and I'm not sure if I want to trade down to the Honda Civics. So this leaves me in a difficult position of realizing that the market's a bit stretched right now. Realizing that a lot of these companies are at the high end of their valuations, and there is a strong possibility of some multiple compression in the future. Knowing when that will happen, or even if it will happen soon, is impossible to know. When I look back on my investing philosophy presentation, I believe one page of this addresses this conundrum. It's the portfolio management page. It addresses buying and selling, knowing whether or not you should sell your companies because of valuation. Under buying, it says to only buy compounding machines, which I believe I've done, only buying when they trade below intrinsic value. The companies that I bought into initially were much cheaper than they are today. I note to never sacrifice quality for valuation and do not add to companies that are becoming less predictable. Under selling, I say to sell when a mistake has been made on my original analysis, which I haven't seen that with any of the companies I own so far. I'm also going to sell when a company no longer meets my quality standards. I believe the companies in my portfolio meet my quality standards. And then I also note to sell when there is a far more attractive opportunity. That means if I find a company of equivalent or better quality that's trading cheaper, I can make a swap there. These are the rules I set out and this is what I'm gonna follow. I'll only be selling these companies if I find a far more attractive opportunity. And I would tell you if I have, but so far I haven't. The companies in my portfolio, I still think are the best opportunities that I can find. So the market could very well be at a tipping point. I'm not suggesting it isn't, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm just gonna hold on tight. And if we go through a roller coaster, I'll try not to get scared and jump off halfway through. Now, moving on, we have some news out of one of the holdings in my portfolio. It is the burrito chain, Chipotle. Who would have known that a burrito chain could do this well? The company just seems to continually crush estimates, the stock moves higher, it confounds a lot of people that don't understand why this company goes up so dramatically. Just a year ago it was trading at $1800 a share, now it's at $2600 a share, moving up to $2700. The stock gained $200 in value just today, up 8% on the day this is one of the companies that I think frustrates a lot of people. In fact, when I read through Reddit comments, when I read through Seeking Alpha comments, when people talk about Chipotle stock, they talk about it with anger, resentment, almost a hatred towards the company. They talk about it like it's unjustified. It doesn't really count. It's a silly stock. It doesn't really make sense. There's a lot of people that don't understand why the company's moving up and why it's done so well. When I invested in Chipotle, I bought it around $1,800 per share. Right now it's a $33,000 position with 9,000 in gains. Now before we dive into the earnings, I wanna address some of the main reasons I bought this company and why I believe it will have an incredibly prosperous future. Here's the initial slide I created months ago when I was first investing in Chipotle, and the reasons that I initially invested in this company are still fully applicable today. First of all, we have strong secular trends of market share gain in quick service restaurant. I believe that's still true today. Quick service restaurants like Chipotle are gaining market share over other forms of eating food. And there's reasons why. There's now higher amounts of dual family income. More dual family income means that there's less time to cook. There's higher household incomes. All of that helps out Chipotle. They are benefiting from this strong secular trend of less cooking at home, higher incomes. There's also fewer children per household. Fewer children means that the cost effectiveness of cooking at home is reduced. Because if you go out and buy groceries, it's usually easier to spread the cost between four or five different members of the family. But if you only have two or three members of the family, the cost effectiveness is reduced. And of course, reducing the at-home cost effectiveness increases the relative cost effectiveness of going out to Chipotle. Then we have a strong preference for convenience above all else. People like getting things quick, easy, and convenient. Chipotle offers that. We have consistent new openings with Chipotle. Remember that Chipotle only has 3,300 restaurants? They want to go up to 7,000, so they have a massive runway of growth. It's not a company that's oversaturated like Starbucks or McDonald's with 30,000 plus locations. Chipotle still offers a long, meaningful runway of growth. They also offer Mexican food which is categorically a winner. So when you're investing in Chipotle, you're making a bet that more and more people love Mexican food. Chipotle is also much healthier than most of its competitors, which is a huge demographic boost to people that have money and want to eat a little bit healthier. Of course, Chipotle is not perfectly healthy, but it is without a doubt healthier than McDonald's or Wendy's or Chick-fil-A. It's a healthier option than fried chicken and french fries. When I initially invested in Chipotle last year, I also saw that they were set up for easy comps next year, which of course is playing out in this next earnings report. They easily beat their same store sales comp, causing the stock to go up. And then last but not least, they are headed towards 4 million average unit volume and 7,000 restaurants. Average unit volume is the amount of sales per location. Their goal is to get to 4 million and their goal is to get to 7,000 locations. When you just look at the stock in isolation, it looks like there's not much behind this move and it may be unreasonable, but when you study the overall secular trends, there's a lot of things in favor of Chipotle that are continually showing through in their earnings reports. When we look at the full year of 2023 for Chipotle, it was a fantastic year. The revenue grew by over 14% to $9.9 billion. The revenue is growing organically. They're not acquiring companies or taking out debt. This is revenue growth from price increases and increased traffic in new locations. Comparable restaurant sales, which is another huge metric for restaurants, increased by nearly 8%. This was way above Wall Street's estimates. Operating margin increased from 13.4% to 15%. Then we get to the earnings per share. The diluted earnings per share grew to $44.34, which is an increase of 38.4%. Chipotle trades at a higher valuation, obviously, than most companies, but it's growing its earnings per share at roughly just shy of 40% year over year. Of course, the future is unknown of whether or not they can keep up this growth rate, but if they grow anywhere close to this, the value is more than justified. Now they opened up 271 new locations in the year. They mentioned that 238 of them include Chipotle lanes. The reason that this is notable is that the higher mix of Chipotle lanes means higher margins for the company. Chipotle lanes increase the overall margins and as the company shifts more to Chipotle lanes, it will become a higher margin company. Now, the metric that the CEO is most excited about, what he's brought up routinely, is the AUV, the average unit volume. They surpassed $3 which means that the average Chipotle location is making over $3 million per year. That is incredible. And their goal is to get that up to $4 million in North America. And they are dead set on that goal. They believe they can get there. It's just a matter of time. While the company's growing its top line revenue, which is important, and they're growing that organically, they're also reducing the amount of shares. They purchased nearly $600 million worth of shares last year for an average price of around $1,800 per share, generating consistent amounts of growing free cash flow and repurchasing stock every year. They're going to continue buying back stock aggressively. Now I can calculate the free cash flow they generated for the full year. Net cash provided by operating activities of $1,783,000,000. Then we can subtract out CapEx, which was 560 million. That leaves us with free cash flow of 1,223,000,000. If we compare that to last year's free cash flow, 2022 to 2023, that is a staggering 44% increase year over year. So they're growing their free cash flow above 40% on a yearly basis and their free cash flow per share is growing even faster because they're doing buybacks. So I'm aware that Chipotle is one of the stocks that confounds people and confuses investors, but when you really dive into the numbers, it shouldn't be that confusing. The company grew its earnings per share by over 38%. They grew their free cash flow per share by over 40%. 45%. It has a long, durable runway of growth ahead of it. You can quibble about the valuation, and nobody can predict that in the short term. There's a chance it could sell off like any other company, but Chipotle is a company that I think will be a long-term winner. For that reason, I'm very happy with this report, and I'll continue to hold. Now next, we had some recently breaking news in the cable industry and the streaming industry. ESPN, Fox, Warner team up to create a sports streaming platform. This is straight from the Wall Street Journal. And we're learning about this new streaming platform that they're creating. They say the as of yet unnamed service will be offered directly to consumers who would be able to stream all of these company sports content. So this is going to be an additional app. It's not just gonna be included as you log into HBO Max or you log into ESPN. It'll be its own separate app that they're creating and they're going to give another name. The first thought on this is another streaming app we're we're getting to the point where i feel like we have a lot of these don't we have a lot of streaming apps they're creating another one and this is going to be the big sports bundle that every sports fanatic will have to have now in terms of the details there's not many we just know that they're splitting the profits or at least the ownership three ways so these three companies are going to split the ownership but the profits are not being split three ways They have a separate agreement on the profit share, which has to do with the sports that they're putting on the platform. So a company that's paying more to put sports on this platform, more of the revenue of the platform will be funneled to that provider. They also mentioned that so far they did not announce pricing. I've heard some estimates of this, and I believe the best estimate is around $35 per month. I think it's gonna cost around that much. It won't be as much as YouTube TV or premium cable TV that includes all of the channels, but it's not gonna be as cheap as streaming. It's likely not gonna be 10 to 15 bucks a month. I believe they'll split the difference and price it around $35 per month. They say that the deal marks a milestone in the growth of the streaming industry and could accelerate consumers' shift away from cable TV. And that's part of this deal that I don't think is so smart by these companies. They all own cable TV assets and by offering other outlets for people to subscribe to, they are going to accelerate this shift from cable TV. So this is another way that I believe these companies are moving customers from one product to another. I believe this move is reactionary to what Apple TV and Amazon Prime is doing. Both of these companies are eating their lunch. Amazon, for example, is buying up sports rights aggressively, making it more expensive but also making it more difficult for companies like ESPN or Fox Sports. Amazon will continue to buy major sporting events. In terms of their streaming competitors, companies like Netflix, I think this will have no impact on Netflix. Netflix is about entertainment and drama. They like the drama of sports, which is documentaries and films around sports and they believe they can better monetize that than licensing sports. So in terms of Netflix's future, I believe this has no impact. Now moving on, the time has finally come. The Apple Vision Pro is released and we're having a lot of reactions like this online. (laughs) The chanting's so cringy. Like any new Apple product, I thought that the Apple Vision Pro would get a lot of attention and a lot of press, but I underestimated one factor of the amount of attention this product in particular is getting. It's different than the Oculus or any other VR headset because you can use it when you're outside. It has the pass-through lens. So part of what's making this so viral is seeing these funny exchanges between people using the Apple Vision Pro, walking around outside, and of course seeing other people's reaction. A lot of people looking at this like it's incredibly weird and crazy, which it is. All of this is so weird. Casey Neistat uploaded a video of him watching Mr. Beast videos while waiting for the subway. And the screen's just floating there in the air. Seeing the juxtaposition of going into his head and seeing what he's seeing to seeing the camera outside is just crazy. People say that it's dystopian, that it's the end of civilization, it's a horrible thing for the future, but those type of comments have been made for every groundbreaking technology. You can look back to everything Apple's launched in the past, and there's always been doomsdayers saying how bad it is for civilization. But I think the applications in the future could be more real than previously thought. There's a lot of people that have shown its capabilities. For example, you could tour a home that's potentially for sale and get a 3D viewing of the home without actually having to go visit it. This type of application could be huge. Notice the UI here, they're switching from room to room. Then they can see the entire home in a lot more realistic of a manner than if you're looking at a screen. There's people looking at handcrafted ornaments in 3D. You can swivel them around and look at everything as if it's a hologram. There's already applications for learning instruments like piano and playing guitar like Guitar Hero. You can see the notes falling out of the sky and you have to play them at the time they hit the keys. So far, the Apple Vision Pro has been snubbed by both YouTube and Netflix, but Disney's on board. They've actually created specific apps for it where you get these landscapes that are Disney specific. For example, you can change the setting around you so you're sitting in the Disney Plus Theater and they have these different environments based on different Disney content. So you have the Monsters Inc floor there. This type of thing is just getting started. This is the initial slate. We've already heard rumors that YouTube has now decided to build a YouTube app for the Vision Pro. It's on their slate for the future. When I look at my Apple position, I've held this company for so long and it's been such a great holding, but I ask the question of whether or not the story's over for Apple, whether or not the company has reached its maximum size and it's going to have very slow, tepid growth. As for me, I believe Apple can resume faster growth. I think they'll eventually be able to have easier comps and speed up their earnings per share and free cash flow per share. So I'm gonna give this one a bit more time. And so far, I'm very happy with the progress of the Vision Pro. That's going to be it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you want to see more content, you can check out the Patreon in the description below. Other than that, see you in the next one.